Welcome back to Sanchiro's Boys. This is your co-host, Tim Amatuli. And I'm Chris Cote. We reached the end of our long journey. Kurosawa's final film, Matadayo, otherwise known in English as Not Yet, from 1993. 1993. I would be born three years later. <laughs> Four years later. Yeah, sorry, audience. Who thought we were older? <laughs> yeah, it's the final one. And it's a very nice ending, I thought. I think a very uh, meta movie. I think we'll get into that a lot on this show. Yeah, I'm interested to see what you have to say about that. Did he know it was going to be his last one? I don't think so, right? I think that he would like to have never died. He was always going to be working on another one. I'll talk a little bit at the end of the show about what his next film would have been. I think Donald Ritchie in his book put it really well when he was reflecting on Kurosawa's life, saying he was a man who really lived in the future and the past was of very little consequence to him. He was always about the next film. When he would be asked in interviews, what's your best movie? He would always say the next one. This wound up unintentionally being his final film, but I think the fact that it is the final film makes a lot of sense. It feels like an intentional final film, even if it isn't. Yeah, no, it, I think it's a very touching, great way to sum up Kurosawa. This is a vibes film, and the main vibe is Dude's Rock. Well, not the only vibe, but it's the main one. Even less so than Rhapsody in August, there really isn't much behind the scenes to talk about for this. This is in the same vein as Dersu Yuzala and Kagemusha, a sort of biopic. This film is based on the writings of the beloved Japanese writer Hyaken Uchida, who is the main character in this movie. I wish I knew more about him going into the movie. A Japanese audience would have, and we just wouldn't, and there's not really any way around that, but getting a portrait of him, he seemed really cool. I tried looking him up on Wiki and stuff, and there just isn't a whole lot of information available to me, an American, but he is definitely a very beloved figure in Japan. I wonder why Kurosawa chose to make this. Do you have any insight on that? Or... Not really. I guess you never know. He always does what he wants. This one at least made more sense than, like, the previous one, <laughs> Rhapsody in August. <laughs> Yeah, let's uh, just get into it as best we can. It's a pretty loose plot. It's all about the vibes, and they're really great vibes. Here's basically what happens. Matadayo chronicles the life of Professor Hyakin Uchida, who retires from teaching during World War II. His new home is destroyed during an air raid, so his students work together to get a new house built for him. To celebrate his birthday, they arrange the Not Yet Fest, where Uchida is asked if he is ready to die, and he replies, Matadayo, not yet. A year later, the professor and his wife move into their new home and care for a stray cat named Allie. Uchida becomes debilitated with grief when Allie disappears and is unable to be found, but the family eventually takes in a new stray cat, Kurtz. After 17 not-yet-fests, Uchida becomes ill and is escorted home by his wife and the students, where he dreams of himself as a child playing the Matadayo hide-and-seek game. So, uh, even though it's about an old man dying, it's actually a really nice good vibes film. Yeah, and actually technically a period piece. Oh yeah, I suppose so. It begins near the end of World War II and then ends 17 years later. He's taken us one more time to examine post-war Japan like we've done in Stray Dog or in One Wonderful Sunday or all these other movies. I really like in this one how there's just rubble everywhere and it lasts for years. Like it, it will be a scene years after the war ends and there is still like destroyed pieces of buildings lying around. Eventually things, you know, do get cleared, like that lot across from him is full of rubble, and then eventually it'll be replaced by a building and stuff. Like, there's nice touches like that throughout the film. It starts just before, when everything's still kind of in place. They make some comments about how, oh, it's really hard to find meat during the war, so I had to buy horse meat. Oh my, in the, in the funniest scene. <laughs> That's, it's wild. It's so good. <laughs> the bombing happens in a cut, and then, yeah, it's just rubble for a really long time. 
most of this movie is about navigating that post-war experience through the eyes of this guy who lived a lot pre-war. Uchida gets a really great introduction when he comes in. We start on a door. We don't see anything. We just hear the sounds of the classroom. A kid runs in. He's like, he's coming. He's coming. And you hear everyone get really quiet. And then when we see the classroom and the guy walks in, there's smoke hanging in the air because someone was smoking in class. And you think, oh, God, this is going to be like the angry professor. Yeah, the schoolmaster or whatever. He's going to be pissed. Automatically, this guy just establishes himself as like the coolest professor anyone has ever had. And he's so funny and so chill. Smoking is prohibited. But of course, that just makes you want to smoke more. In fact, I smoke like five cigarettes on the way here. God, I want to smoke more. <laughs> he rules. It's such a great introduction. He's very, very cool. All the students love him. Then he mentions like, although I've taught your parents and your parents' parents. He's raised generations of families in this school. And I want to especially call out Tatsuo Matsumura for his performance as Uchida because I think he pulls off such a lovely, like he just radiates humanity in this role. Yeah, no, wonderful, wonderful performance. And a character that, like, would probably be very challenging to play, because he almost doesn't really... If I didn't see him do it, I, like, wouldn't buy that you could pull this off. It's almost like a different interpretation of a Dr. Redbeard character. Yeah. He is someone who is very benevolent. A critique of this movie is that the film is kind of aimless because it's vignetted a lot like Dreams was, although a little less obviously. And so there isn't too much of, like, an overarching plot for this guy to, like, go through major character change in the traditional sense of a normal narrative. He does go through changes, but it's more like exposing things that we know and kind of looking at him through the viewpoint of other characters. And the movie starts when he's 60 on the day he retires, and he just kind of, you know, gets older from there. He's not really going through any kind of arc. He's a fully foreign person by that time, but I do think that Kurosawa's conception of this character, this man who literally loses his home and most of his possessions and is pretty okay with it, but then when he loses his cat... The loss of a life in his life is devastating to him. I think that's an incredibly touching Kurosawa character. Yeah, I agree. Definitely, you know, shows his priorities, shows the way he is. It is a little tough for the viewer when the cat scene takes, uh, as Tim has clocked it, 30 full minutes of the movie. This wouldn't be Kurosawa's last film if there weren't parts that dragged too long. Yeah. Certainly, the search for Ali, which is incredibly heartbreaking and really, really great stuff does go on for a really long time, as does the first Not Yet Fest, even though it's all so fun. Yeah, I will I will challenge Tim here and say the first Not Yet Fest was a perfect scene that I loved <laughs> in completion and should have been even longer, <laughs> but go on. Honestly, I feel about this movie a lot the way I felt about Dersu Uzala, but I think the difference is the vibe of this, because this movie is actually structured more as a comedy than a tragedy, even though it has both. Whereas I think Dersu Uzala was structured in the opposite way, a tragedy that did have comedy in it. Well, certainly it's a lot less bleak than Dersu Uzawa. I feel like I get through it easier, and I find this movie incredibly enjoyable. It is very, very enjoyable. It's hard to really put into words how funny this movie is in certain parts, and how extremely sad it is in others. It's extremely, like, shockingly funny. A good probably 30 minutes of the runtime is just dedicated to people laughing at his jokes. <laughs> uh, it really. <laughs> so much of those movies, the, the college, or I don't know. What an incredible relationship to have with your old students who are fully formed adults with children that will stick by him for 17 more years from the beginning of this movie. This sets the standard of generation for all professors way too high. Any educator who has watched this movie is like, that is not realistic. That does not happen to professors. Yeah, it's not at all. Regardless, I'm sure it happened to this man because it's basically a biopic. Because uh, he deserves it. Yeah, and yeah, no, I believe it. He does deserve it. And it's amazing. 
And that's where I see a lot of Kurosawa in this character, of this old man who, in this more globalized world where people can make their love for his films known more easily, is seeing all these people that really do appreciate the things that he's done and love his work. I definitely believe that by the 90s, yeah. I was curious how much you were supposed to identify the professor with Kurosawa. At one point when he loses the cat and it's like a really big deal and it goes on for a long time, I was like, is the cat supposed to be... Toshiro Mifune? <laughs> and then I thought, well, maybe in that case, the cat's not going to come back and a different cat's going to come back and that's Tsuya Nakadai. And then that does happen. I'm like, oh my God. And I was like, no, I'm probably reading into it too hard. I don't think that's what it is. I think that's reading into it too hard because I assume that that probably is something that just actually did happen to know, Professor still. Uchida. But still, yeah, you can have that reading on it. Again, I think it's a very meta movie. Especially because so much time is dedicated to this cat that I was like, it really feels like something's going on here that I'm not getting. But I guess it's, you know, it really just is. His heart is that big. Then when he loses his cat, he almost dies. And so do I. Oh, yeah. Great cat. Alley. And then it's a uh, replacement Kurds. Because he's an alley cat. Get it? <laughs> I think that was like supposed to be a better joke in Japanese. There was a few jokes that were like jokes about the, like that only work in the Japanese language that the, the translator had to try really hard to make work in English. And they do a pretty good job. Yeah, but then everyone else laughs and it's infectious. So it's, yeah, yeah, there are some that don't it, work. It, it, it works anyway. There are some where like he just says something and then everyone laughs. I'm like, I don't know what that meant. <laughs> but the one about like the executive, that was good. There's this core group of students composed of a couple actors that we've seen in a lot of these later color films. They're like kind of our point of view to Uchida a lot, and like they don't really. Again, there's no character in this movie that's like really like learning too too much. I feel like. Very little is changing, yeah. It's just, time goes on. Everyone is having such a good time with it. I want to call out two specific moments that are so unbelievably funny. <laughs> the first is when Professor Uchida and his wife buy a new house, and the reason that this house was so cheap is because it keeps getting robbed. Two of the students, when we refer to the students, these are like 40 to 50 year old men. Just regular <laughs> ass adults. But they are like, alright, we gotta test out the defenses. We gotta see how easy it would be to break into his house. And he says, I have the perfect intruder defense. Don't even worry about it. So they test it. <laughs> they sneak in and find a sign and it just says, burglar's entrance. Yeah, they go into the back door, which is left unlocked. And they're like, this is too easy. How can this be? <laughs> burglar entrance. And then that leads into the burglar passage, which leads into the burglar lounge. And then seamlessly into the burglar exit. Yep. And the burglar exit leads you back to the front. <laughs> And it's literally like, yeah, wow, you're basically relying on the goodwill that how could you rob someone that would do that? Yeah, and there are, like, cigarettes left out for burglars. It's <laughs> like, just... So, it's amazing. It just works so well. And then later on, he has a bunch of the students over for a dinner, and they're having venison and horse meat. And he's telling the story about how he was buying the horse meat, and a horse went by. Yeah, a horse that he knows. And gives him the funniest expression I've ever seen a horse make. Yeah, the horse does a great job acting. <laughs> Just stares at him in, like, <laughs> shock and pain. <laughs> but it's a horse. <laughs> As Kurosawa's last film, he really does get in a lot of, like, one more time of every major thing. We had to get one last horse close-up in there. We had to get one last character motion to define Uchida with his handkerchief blowing his nose. We had to get another moonshot like we had as early as The Most Beautiful and One Wonderful Sunday and Dersu Uzala. The heavy rain when the house is destroyed, when Ali is outside or being thought of. It really is like a greatest hits of a lot of his techniques. Yeah, I didn't notice that when watching, but in retrospect, that really does make sense. 
the horse venison story is very funny. I was almost confused because at some point it doesn't seem like he's telling jokes, but they just keep laughing at everything he says anyway. <laughs> he's like, yeah, it was like really upsetting when the horse stared at me. I it was actually kind of upset. And they're like, ah, that's so funny. <laughs> There's a lot of mo- scenes that were like that. A few other, I mean, highlights for me. The first Not Yet Fest, I thought, ruled. Because it was the most dudes rock party of all time. And watching it in quarantine was a bit painful because I wanted nothing more than to be there. Yeah. (laughs) Just you and, like, 50 of your bros (laughs) who all went to school together. Yeah, me and my 50 best friends. Yeah, and you're all drinking more than I could ever have believed these adult men would drink in this scene. Getting, like, blackout drunk, dancing, yelling. And he's, like, vibing the whole time. Everyone's trying to give him a drink. Uchida truly is the okay boomer. He's not an okay boomer. He is literally okay. Yeah, he he's the vibes man. The Not Yet Fest happens after Uchida's house is destroyed in an air raid. He's living in a shed, and the students are like, look, we're getting everybody together, and we're going to get you a new house built. It winds up taking like a year, but in the meantime, they came up with a new tradition to celebrate his birthday. And it's called the Not Yet Fest, where they'll ask him, are you ready? Meaning, are you ready to die? And he will chug a mug of beer larger than his head and say, Madadayo, not yet. And everyone will cheer like they've never cheered before. And it happens every year for 17 years. It's delightful. There's even a, an extra thing in the first Not Yet Fest, which is some of the craziest stuff ever. At one point, after they've all like partied around, done like a line dance, sang songs, there's a lot of songs in the whole movie, and they get drunk. They all disappear, and he's like, what happened? And then suddenly they pull out what looks like a corpse on a table. They put it right up to him, they're all surrounding him, and suddenly the corpse gets up, and it's the hot student with all the glasses, and he has these two fans, and they're just like, ready to die? <laughs> and he goes, not yet, and they like go like forward and back and forward and back. Literally, the cops come in because it's so loud, and then they just see it and laugh and turn around. And they think it's so fun that they just walk away. I thought they were going to join in. <laughs> yeah, no, I, th- I thought they were going to shut down. I was like, oh no, this like the first bad vibe in the film is going to happen. But no, it doesn't happen. The police just walk away. <laughs> and the whole time throughout the Not Yet Fest, they're going around thanking the professor and saying some memories about him. And there's one guy who's like, I don't really have anything to say. So I'm just going to list every single train stop on this one line. And he talks for several hours. They comedically cut back to him. And it's like, oh, wow, he's still going. They cut back to him, I think, six times. It's at the point where it's not even funny anymore, and then it becomes funny again when he finally finishes, and he's the only person left in the room with Uchida and one other guy. My favorite one of those is during the One Two Medicine song, which is a song where they all get up and essentially line dance, and he was, like, improvising lyrics on top. And you don't see him for a while. He's, like, out of frame. And there's one quick shot where, like, he's in the bottom left of the frame while everyone's dancing around, and you can hear him, like, counting off again, like, still going. And it cuts back. It's very subtle. It's so funny. <laughs> It comes in and out of the mix occasionally, like you wind up being able to suddenly hear him and you're like, oh my god, he's still going. Because I don't know what this train line is. How long could it possibly be? Must be one that goes across like all of Japan. They know it's going to be a really long thing. The person's like, oh, this will be something. Yeah, they were like, are you going to do the express? And he's like, nope, the local. And they're like, oh god. He's going to move into his new house where they've built him a new study and a really nice garden with a donut shaped pond in it with an island in the middle. There's a little cute little thing where he's like, this pond is perfect. The Pacific is so big, but if you go into that, you'll eventually hit America. This thing could go forever and you'd never hit it. (laughs) (laughs) You said you thought we were going to get the first bad vibes and then we don't. Here we do because we're going to meet Allie and he's so cute. They found such an adorable cat with massive testicles. Yeah, I didn't want to say it. That's another reason why I might be to share (laughs) Mifune. 
he's a stray cat and they don't keep him in the house, but they have a spot for him. Eventually he stops showing up and Uchida is completely devastated. They put together a whole search party with the old students. They hand out pamphlets to the kids. It literally becomes like this entire town is rallying to try and find this cat. It's all so sad. And it goes on for a really long time. Really, really long time. It really kills the vibe. Yeah, I was trying to read something into it to justify why it went on so long and I couldn't. There's a one thing where they think they find the cat and he's really excited. He's like crying. They call everyone. That's when a lot of people give him gifts. They're like, we're so glad you found the cat. Turns out it's the wrong cat. He's devastated again. And then another cat shows up. It's a black and white cat and he takes the mackerel meant for Allie. And that's like what resolves it. He learns to love this new cat, even though he still wants the old one to come back. This is where we kind of do jump ahead because we wind up with statues in memoriam of them. And we know, okay, a lot of time has passed because this cat has now died. Then we're going to go to the last Not Yet Fest, and it's going to say it's the 17th. The first Not Yet Fest was all men in suits. They were all his students. Now, all of a sudden, you're seeing more women because more of these men are married. And there's also children. And it's like, these are some of your students' grandchildren. So, like, in a weird way, he feels like almost like a great-grandfather. I believe that the real Professor Uchida did have multiple children. In this movie, he doesn't. He just has his wife. She's actually the wife from High and Low. Oh. This really is his family. It's his wife. I feel a little bad for her. She gets treated very nicely and stuff. She just, her whole life is dedicated to this man. Yeah, she doesn't get a chance to do too much in this movie. Yeah, besides care for him. No one in this movie is sexist. It's just like the nature of the way society is set up. The wife does a great job. Everyone in this movie does a great job. All the roles are done really well. These four students are really the core group, and there's two of them that are even like more essential. The one that I call the hot one and the other one. Uh, yeah, and you, like, see them as his, like, trusted companions for all of his later life, 60 to 77. It is very touching. The movie ends, they have the last Not Yet Fest. He looks way older. They all look older, too. Really impressive age makeup, I'll say that for everyone. It definitely is very convincing. It's especially tough when you have to do it to, like, a group of 60 men, and you basically see a bunch of them, and they all look older. He drinks the beer at this last Not Yet Fest, and they're all about to start celebrating, and that's when he kind of starts collapsing. His doctor says he has arrhythmia, so they have to shuffle him out. They walk him out, and it's a very gradual thing, and there's so many scenes in this movie of the four students sitting together drinking and smoking and laughing. They do that at the professor's house frequently. All the time. And here they do it one more time while he's sleeping. They say, we'll do it just like our student days, and we'll drink the sake cold. They hear him say Matadayo in his sleep. We move in on him, and we end this movie, I think, very fitting for Kurosawa in a dream of this old man as a child, kind of like Akiru, you know, this old man ending his life in a playground meant for children. Now we get this old man imagining himself as a young child, and he's still saying, not yet. He's playing hide-and-seek in the dream, yeah. Like Kurosawa, this is a whole movie, a defiance of death. I don't want to die. I'm not ready to die. I'll never be ready to die. Then he notices something really bright in the distance and gets up and he looks and the camera just kind of pans up to these painted clouds. This like painted beautiful sunset. A lot like in Dodeska Dan and Kagemusha, the way that those dream sequences are painted or the sky is done, it starts changing colors too, which is really cool. It's like cycling through the spectrum. And then the credits roll. And that's uh, the final image from Akira Kurosawa. Matadayo. I, that's how I feel. I don't want it to be over. Yeah, I bet you want the podcast to be over, but uh, not, not his filmography. Hey, there's still all the movies he wrote. Yeah. <laughs> Just better find someone else for that one. <laughs> I didn't feel like the cinematography was anything especially flashy or super crazy. It was totally good. 
It wasn't flashy, but it was very nice. Which is like what you kind of come to expect from his later film. It's like Rhapsody in August, maybe even a little less flashy than that, where nothing really stands out. But if you like look closely, you're like, oh, this is really like nicely and thoughtfully done for the entire movie. Yeah, I think every frame is well balanced and the colors look good. It's just there's not a lot of movement. Like all of these late Kurosawa films, you know, it's a lot of long takes, just kind of sitting and letting the actors do their thing. There's a scene in the shed where the seasons pass, which is nice. That's like a really good use of the colors. The frame that I chose is more of a meta one for me, but it's one where two main students from that group of four come to Professor Uchida's shed when he's homeless after the air raid. It's a limited space shot. We're kind of seeing a frame within a frame of the two of them sitting before him. He's raised a little higher in the frame, so it forms a triangle with them. What I love about it is I do feel like these grown men, the way that they're framed, they do kind of look like kids. And I think that that's very fitting to their relationship. And what I specifically thought of was I felt like it was kind of like George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola here. I think because specifically in this scene, they're talking about how you helped us so much. Now we want to help you really reminded me of like the Kagemusha creation story of how these men were now able to repay this man's influence to them. That's really what this whole movie is, is a way that people can help each other and enrich each other's lives and pass down these important lessons to one another. Um, so I found that really beautiful and I've got a lot of meta throughout this movie and in this scene in particular. So I really liked that. I chose like the iconic frame from the movie. I debated choosing a slightly different one, but this is the one I went with. This is the scene where the student, who I don't really know his name, so I'm going to call him the hot one, with the glasses, uh, comes up out of the corpse-looking cake and has the two fans, and they start saying, like, are you ready? Not yet. Not yet. And he's, like, leading the whole group. Uh, at one point, you see the shot from behind. You see this just mass of people back up and then go forward, and it's very organic, and it's just extremely fun and life-affirming. It's probably one of the most, like, fun and life-affirming shots I've seen in any, any movie. Just the celebration of this man's life, which is what the whole movie is about. Like I said, I really like the first night yet festival. It just made me very happy. The whole scene. And this is the climax of that scene. And it's just wonderful. The shot specifically has the man in the middle looking extremely excited, holding two fans. And just this crowd of people that are all kneeling just enough so you can see all of them. And we have a professor in the foreground looking humble like he always is. And it's just a beautiful scene. Beautiful shot. I think the uh, poster on Letterboxd is a drawing of this scene. This exact shot, even. That shot is cool, too, because it does kind of encapsulate both ends of the way that this movie's going to make you feel, where you're like, oh, wow, like, this is really about death. Because they're coming out, it's very somber, there's the prayer bell ringing and things, but then it also pops up, and it's like, you know what? It's life, let's just have fun. Life is all of these things, let's enjoy ourselves and celebrate a life well lived, which I think this movie does very well. It's definitely not one of Kurosawa's stronger narrative films, but it is a super fun film. Definitely not without its flaws, but I think especially as a final film, a really, really solid one to go out on. It doesn't hit the highs of his masterpieces. I wouldn't call this a masterpiece, but I definitely think it's a very good film and would encourage people to see it after seeing a couple Kurosawa films. Like, I wouldn't say, like, make this your first Kurosawa. I think you get a lot more out of it the more that you know about him and the more that you've seen of his stuff. I felt very emotional watching this movie for the first time, having only seen, I mean, I guess half of the Kurosawa films I've seen now. So, yeah, I felt this movie a lot and it does hurt to say goodbye because I want to say Matadayo myself. And I'm going to give this movie an 8 out of 10. I agree. It's a very lovely film. It's not perfect. Cat scene, it's just a little a little much for me, even though I, I get it. Not really good. That's mostly the cat scene, the fact that it's pretty non-linear, strong narrative driven, which I don't, I don't mind that much. I like a good vibes film, as I've said before, like Dersuzela. I like the Oh Captain, My Captain uh, opening, too, which is something I want to say. Uh, so I will give this movie a 9. And 
with that, we must say goodbye to Akira Kurosawa. Akira Kurosawa would die five years later on September 6th, 1998, of a stroke. He was 88 years old. Can you believe this, that there was a crossover period where Kurosawa was alive and we were alive? Yeah, the, the two-year period for me. Yeah, well, one year for me. <laughs> yeah. His life has spanned so much. He had always hoped to end his life by just collapsing on a film set. That was what he said he wanted. That's how he wanted to die. And unfortunately, that did not happen. Seems like he got close, though. He got pretty close, yeah. But he had a fall. He had a broken hip. He had other physical problems that prevented him from really working. But he was working on a next film, even if it was never going to actually happen. His next film was going to be called The Ocean Was Watching. It was going to be about Edo period prostitutes. So it was actually going to be a women-centric film, which he hasn't had since No Regrets for Our Youth back in the 40s. Damn. What if single-handedly shattered any feminist critique of himself? To me, it sounds a lot like a Mizoguchi kind of story, actually. It seems like it also would have been a little bit like Dodeskaden or something like multiple character stories. Yeah, lower depths. A little bit vignetted again. He seems to be doing that a lot in the 90s. I would have loved to have seen that. Shame it never got made. I do think that Madadaya worked out. If you're going to have a final film, this one makes much more sense than that <laughs> the, one. You know, your prostitute film would have been an unusual ending for him. Actually, that's the way that Mizoguchi's career ended. His last film was about prostitutes in Street of Shame. That's a lot more fitting for Mizoguchi than it is for Akira <laughs> yeah. Kurosawa. And that thus concludes the film review portion of this podcast. Yeah, which is uh, about 95% of it. 95%. We got one more, though. We are going to do our best to rank all of Akira Kurosawa's films. And the way we've been kind of saying this, Tim's going to try and do a very objective rating, and I'm going to do uh, whatever I want, though probably I'm going to chicken out and mostly do it by what is the best. <laughs> yeah, I can't control you. I won't put Sanchiro Sugata 2 at the number one spot, or even in the top ten, but I really, really want it. <laughs> It'll be really fun, and you know we'll reflect on our feelings on Akira Kurosawa and all of these experiences. We hope you'll join us for that, so please check in with us one last time. Is this podcast over? Not yet. <laughs>